Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's, it's crazy that Christmas is on a Sunday. I don't even remember. Does anybody remember the last time it was on a Sunday? You were seven? Do the math for me so I know. How many years ago was that? Was that like, yeah, was that like two years ago? You're, st- you're still in elementary school, right? Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't remember. It's been, it's been a while. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of us, when we wake up on Christmas morning, we can have that feeling of like, I got to go to church today. And I'm not going to lie, that passed through my brain as well, where I was like, I got to go to church today. Um, but it was cool, not on my own accord, but my wife ended up having the kids jump in bed with us this morning, and she read them the Jesus Storybook Bible of the story of baby Jesus being born. And it was just a cool feeling and thinking, um, <clears throat> you know, for me, I'm just a, I'm a traditionalist, and so I think of like the Christmas cartoons and the Santa Claus stuff and, and want to feed my kids that stuff on Christmas morning. But um, she was like, let's read this to them. And sure enough, I'm like, that was a great idea, you know, for us to set the pace and set the tone on Christmas morning to remember why we even have Christmas in the first place. And so if you're visiting with us today, I just want you to know that you picked a great place to start your Christmas morning off with. Uh, we're excited that you guys are here. Um, I'm excited that you guys are here, and I know that God is overjoyed that you're here. And so I'm going to do my best to uh, keep our lesson as brief as possible. For some of you guys, you're like, yes, I want to get out of here. For some of you guys, you're like, take your time because i got to go see my family today. And so the longer I'm at church, the longer it's going to take for me to actually get there and actually have to deal with them. So uh, either way, I'm going to have some winners in the, <laughs> in the room today. Uh, but, we, you know, we are actually going through a sermon series talking about It's a Wonderful Life. And if you guys would like to pull out your bulletins, there's some notes that you guys can follow along with, with us today. But it's kind of cool because we actually, uh, we have multiple churches that go through the same sermon series. And so for our training purposes, we usually stay a week behind them so we can learn and train from some of our more senior churches to, uh, to model their lessons and to, and to hear some insight and, and gain some influence and understanding as we, as we navigate. And so actually this lesson was done last week, but it fits perfectly into the Christmas model because today what we're going to be talking about is hope. You know, and I think it's so important for us to think about hope because during the Christmas and holiday season, hope tends to be uh, something that a lot of people put their hope into Christmas season. But there's a lot of us that it can actually turn into more of a hopelessness season because of the things that we don't have and the things that we uh, that we wish that we had or the things that we have lost over the years. And so where this is a holiday that can, can create one of the biggest lights in the world for what Jesus has done, it can also cast one of the biggest shadows for the things that we, have, we haven't found or, or, we've lost out, or we've lost out on. And so what I want to do today is I just kind of want to talk about just the idea of hope today and how we can find hope. I think if there's anything that we could look for on Christmas Day, it should be hope. It should be to have a hope in our lives. It should be to have a hope for our families, for our context, for the the world that we live in. Just to have a hope to be able to to, to wake up every morning, not just Christmas morning, and feel hopeful about your life. And, you know, I think the word hope itself has changed over the years from the actual Greek translation and how the scriptures have used hope. And we've talked about this over the last couple of years here in our church that if you're a member of our church and you've heard sermons that we've, we've preached about, talked about hope, there's a big difference in how scripture and how God defines hope and how the world defines hope. You see, whenever the world defines hope, we think of it as something that like maybe it will happen or there's a very high unlikelihood that this would happen, but it would be super cool if it did. 
Like when people talk about hoping, they say they hope that they'll win the lottery one day. And most of them don't even play. You know, like how many of you guys have ever like, how many of you guys ever thought like, what would I do if I won the lottery, but you've never bought the lottery ticket, right? I ponder that a lot in my life where I'll sit in my car and be like, I'll just kind of get like on my own like mental break and I'll be like, well, you know, I'd, 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 buy, I'd buy a church camp for sure. I'd buy, man, we'd have tons of cars out of big houses. And, then I'm, and I process this and it takes like my whole drive. And then I get to the end of it, I'm like, shoot, I didn't even buy a lottery ticket yet, you know, and then like, it, but it stays with us. But the reality is that when I hope for those things and I think about those things, they're probably never going to happen. And I think a lot of times when people hear the word hope, that's kind of a, a parallel that goes with it is it's probably never going to happen. Well, when you look in scripture, there's a complete different understanding of hope because when you look at hope in scripture there is a more definition that hope is more of a confident expectation that I have a confidence that I should expect this that's why I put my hope into it you see God doesn't want us putting our hope into things that there's a chance or that there's a very very unlikelihood that it would happen but maybe if you're lucky God says when you put your hope in something you should have an expectation that it's going to happen and you should live your life confidently knowing that that's what's going to happen. That's why God says put our hope in him. That's why God says put our trust in him. Because if those are things that he wants us to do for him, he wants us to understand that we should go around our lives being confident knowing that those things are going to happen. We don't serve a God that says put your hope in me and maybe you might have a good life one day. Maybe if you hit the jackpot with me, I might make sure that your life has blessings. That's not how hope's defined in Scripture, but it says put your hope in me so that you will know that you'll have hope. And that's why hope is so important, for us to understand it first and foremost, but then to figure out how we can put our hope and how we can find the same hope that God wants us to have in our lives. And the Christmas story is the greatest place to start, you know. The, the, the birth of Jesus and to understand what Jesus did. And that's what we're going to do today. And so what we're going to do is, if you guys want to follow along with our notes, we're going to walk through some things that just essentially how I can find hope this Christmas if I understand these things. And the first thing is that I can find hope this Christmas if I understand the purpose that Jesus embraced. If I can understand the purpose that Jesus embraced. <clears throat> Matthew 121, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So here's our image of baby Jesus, right? And he gives us this idea that he will save his people from their sins. There's two things we need to get from this verse. Number one is that we sin. We need to know that. If you're ever going to find hope this Christmas season, you need to first have this acknowledgement that you actually sin. And it's not that people sin. It's not that the world sins, which those are both true and accurate. But the reality is, if you're going to find hope this Christmas, you have to come to this understanding that you sin. You have to come to this understanding. I have to come to this understanding that I sin, that I make mistakes in life, that I mess up in life. Because if we don't understand that, there is no reason to have hope. There's no reason to have this idea that Christmas is going to be something that can be hopeful. It's going to be a waste of time. And so we have to have this understanding that we sin. But the second thing we get from this verse is that Jesus came to save. And that is so important for us to realize that that's the whole purpose that Jesus came to this earth was to save us. He will save his people from their sins. And so when we think about this idea that what Jesus had to do, the purpose, 
that he truly and fully embraced that. And we'll, we'll kind of follow along with that, and you'll see how he embraced this purpose. But the first and foremost important piece is that we have to realize that there is something that we have done wrong. And there's something in our lives that we've messed up with, and it's something that we continue to mess up with. But we can't act like if we're going to have this perfect Christmas that we have everything together, that we haven't ever done anything wrong. Look at this. In, in Mark 2.17, it says, Jesus heard them and answered, Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to invite good people to be my followers. I came to invite sinners. Which one do you want to be? Do you want to be the healthy person, the healthy person who acts like they have everything together, that Jesus really didn't come for you in the first place? Or do you want to take, acknowledge who you actually are because that's who Jesus came for? You see, there's tons of people that are going to act today like they have everything together. There's people that are going to go to their family gatherings and they're going to want to try to impress their families and show what they've accomplished over the year and say, this is my job, or this is my spouse, or these are my kids, and, and, and everything's great. Look at what we've accomplished without the rest of the family. There's this hierarchy that shows up in the family at some point, right, where it's like, I'm now better than you, you know, because I've, I've accomplished and I've achieved these things. And those are the kind of healthy people that Jesus looks at, and God honestly looks at and says, you don't get what hope really is. You're acting like you have all these things together and you're acting like your, your life is, is perfect, but it's not. You've messed up just like everybody else. And we have to come to that understanding that Jesus understands with us that we have messed up and that's why he's here. That's why he came and that's why this day is so important. And so that's kind of my first challenge today is, you know, as you guys go about your Christmas season and your Christmas day, are you trying to make this day look like it's put together perfect? Are you trying to act like you don't have anything that you've messed up with? Or are you going to take this day seriously and realize, man, I need to find this hope because of where I'm at right now. And then and only then can we move on and look at what things Jesus wants us to understand to find this hope. So the first one is I can find hope this Christmas if I understand the purpose that Jesus embraced. And the next one is I'll find this hope in Christmas if I understand the people that Jesus involved. Once again, Jesus didn't involve a bunch of healthy people that act like they had their stuff together. He had a lot of people that he involved in this story in the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels. <coughs> um, that were, did not have their stuff together. First off, look at the people he revealed in his lineage. Look at these people that were in his lineage. Because they had, they had to construct this lineage to know that Jesus actually came from a source it wasn't like poof, he randomly appeared on earth, but there had to be a family lineage for him to go back through. And these are some of the names that were in that lineage. And some of these names you will probably know, um, Abraham being one of them. So Abraham is mentioned in Matthew 1, 2 and Genesis. We, we know the story of Abraham. We know the great things that Abraham did. But there was a point in time when Abraham chose to introduce his wife as his sister in fear of what the king might do to him. Now, I don't know about you guys in the crowd if you're married, uh, for you men, but for you women that are married to men, how would you feel if you were about to go into a town and your husband was like, hey, let's just pretend you're my sister right now because this king is pretty ruthless and he likes pretty women. 
and he might kill me if he finds out that I'm married to you because then I would look like a threat. But if I'm your brother, like, there is no threat. He can still do whatever he wants to you, but he knows I'm not going to try to threaten him because I'm your brother. So, like, he'll have, your, he'll have his way with you for sure, but, like, he won't threaten me because I'm your bro, not your husband. Women, does that feel like a man that you're like, you got my back? <laughs> you know, like, like you're going to stand up for me. You're going to defend my honor all of a sudden. No, that's not. And that's exactly what Abraham did to his wife, right? Directly in Jesus' lineage. See, a lot of us, when we talk about our family pasts and our family backgrounds, we want to talk about the accomplishments and the achievements, and we want to hide the skeletons of all the, the terrible people in our family, right? That's not how Jesus wanted it to be. You know, we, we want to hide all the, the ugliest and all the nastiest. We want to talk about, hey, my son, his wife is a, is a state champion and blah, blah, blah. And, 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 my, and my grandfather, he was a doctor at one of the top. We don't sit here and talk about, hey, my, my crazy uncle, he was a drunk. That's my family lineage, man. Let's go, you know. And my niece, we don't want to talk about her, you know, but she's got some bad. But we want to talk about the good things. But this lineage, you're going to find out that we can find hope by looking at the same kind of people that not only Jesus brought along, but Jesus was related to. We have Tamar. Now, Tamar is Judah's daughter-in-law. And I had to do some research on this one because she's in the family lineage as well. Long story short, uh, she was meant to have a kid with uh, Judah's son, but he died. And so then she was promised to Judah's other son, and he didn't want to impregnate her. But he was totally fine messing around with her, but he didn't want to have a kid with her. So what Tamar had to do was she pretty much dressed up like a prostitute and went and hid in a village that she knew Judah was going to come to, and she slept with her father-in-law. And then he gets super angry and upset about this, only to find out that she was the prostitute that he had slept with in this other town directly in Jesus' lineage, right? That's not, a, that's not a story you want to share at your family gathering, is it? You know, this is like, if, if you guys actually look through, like, the lineage, the lineage of Jesus looks more like a season of Jerry Springer than it does of anything else that you could see on, on TV. It's, it's, it's so chaotic. We have Rahab. She's a prostitute. She was a Canaanite, and she honestly probably had more faith than many of the Israelites in that time. But yet, this was somebody directly involved in Jesus' lineage. We know a lot about David. David and the mighty men. David killed Goliath. Well, David also took another man's wife and brought him into his palace and had sex with her. And then they had a kid. And then he tried to murder the the husband so that they could cover all this up. And Bathsheba was the woman. And yet, they're both directly involved in the lineage. And we see all these things, and sometimes we think about Jesus, and we're like, oh, he's so great, he's so majestic, he's, so, he's, he's, the, he's the king of all kings, and who, who, who did he come from? He came from season 14 of Jerry Springer. <laughs> you know, like, that's, that's where he came from. Like, he came from craziness. He came from ridiculousness stuff. You know, and, and it just, it got worse and it got worse, and the stories got, they just got bigger and bigger and nastier and nastier and, and more and more scandalous. And it's crazy to think that that's what this, I mean, honestly, Jesus could have came through a lineage of kings, right? He could have went through a whole lineage of kings and palaces that didn't have anything. But the reality is, is that I think that God knew, just like we know, 
that it doesn't matter where you come from, everyone's got crap. Everyone's got sin. Everyone's got stories. And so it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me to know that Jesus came to give us hope because of the kind of people that he came from. That should bring me more reassurance and more peace on this day to know that I'm not too far from being saved. I'm not too messed up. I'm not too hopeless because of my story. But the reality is, is that that's exactly why Jesus came through a lineage that he did because he wanted to reveal and identify, I'm here for you kind of people. I'm here for the people that are messed up. I'm here for the people who have messed up. So not only the people in his lineage, but what about the people he announced his birth to? You know, wasn't in a hospital with a bunch of doctors and a bunch of, bunch of rich people around, a bunch of kings around. But who do we see? Luke 2, 9 and 10. There were some shepherds. Doesn't even say their names. <laughs> you know, like, it doesn't, it doesn't have that kind of importance. There were some shepherds in that part of the country who were spending the night in the fields taking care of their flocks. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone over them. They were terribly afraid, but the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I am here with good news for you, which will bring great joy to all the people. These were not important people. These were not people that God was like, these people are going to make sure this message gets spread faster than anybody else. Because if that was the case, they would have, the first people he would have talked to would have been kings, right? We know what goes on in kingdoms. We know what goes on in royalty. They spread the news like wildfire between kingdoms. But he picked shepherds, not even important ones. He just picked some random ones, you know, and was like, hey, you guys, come here. There's a king being born, you know, like go on your way. Like that was it. And I think it's so important for us to remember once again, like, we don't have to have a certain status to have hope in our relationship with God. We don't have to find the certain status that we've achieved a certain, you know, righteousness with God that we are now like a leader, we're now entitled in the church, or that we have established great things here on earth. We don't have to have those things to have hope in Jesus. We can feel like a nobody and have hope in Jesus. We can be a nobody and have hope in Jesus. Has anyone ever felt like a nobody? Has anyone ever felt alone? You know, the last couple weeks I've been thinking about that a lot. And I was at a staff meeting, I think about a week or two ago. And we do some, we do some time at our staff meetings. We, we talk about what's going on in our churches. But some, one of my favorite things that we do is, is at the end, we talk about praising God for things that are actually going on. You know, we can talk about a lot of issues in the church, or a lot of issues that we have coming up. But it's more important than anything to talk about what God has actually done. And I think it's important for us to remember the, the ideas of, of praising God. And we just went through a sermon series here on Thanksgiving and, and how it's more than just saying words, but being grateful in, in our actions. And one of the things I had said was, I was like, you know, I get so stressed about life because I feel like I have so much on my plate. I feel like I have so many people I'm, I'm meant to connect with throughout the week. I have so many responsibilities I'm supposed to do throughout the week. I have so many, just I, my life is busy now. And it can stress me out, and sometimes I can catch an attitude, or sometimes I can be so frustrated with life. But the reality is, is that I find gratitude because I remember a point in my life where I was a nobody. And I remember a point in my life when I felt like I had nobody. And I remember times in my life when I was in junior high and high school, and I was literally laying in my bed watching TV because I had nothing else to do with my life. I had no friends. All my friends were 
cliquish, you know, rich kids, and I grew up in a, in a very poor town right next to a very rich town, so I went to the rich kids' school, and my friends had their own little thing, so after school, I just got on a bus, and I went home, and I sat, and I just stared at the wall, and I remember those moments, and I remember my life, and I forget sometimes, and I think a lot of times we can forget those things as well. I think we can forget what it was like before God, before our families, before our wives or husbands, before our kids, before our ministries that we're now a part of. And we forget what it was like just to be at home feeling alone. And maybe you didn't have like physical alone. Maybe you actually were a part of teams and sports and you had friends. But there was still that moment that the friends you have found in Christ now, they didn't act and treat you the same way that your friends at school did. There was a difference there still. And so I think it's important for us to remember the people that, you know, Jesus announced his birth to because I think a lot of times we can relate to those guys. Shepherds who can feel very alone at times, to feel like they don't really have community at times. That's who Jesus came for. And for you guys today, whether you found Jesus or not, I want you to have encouragement to know that that's the same kind of people that Jesus came for as maybe the same kind of person that you're feeling like right now on Christmas morning. He came for people who feel alone. He came for people who feel like they don't have anybody. He came for people who feel like they have, they, they have, they're depressed. You know, we don't know the attitudes in the hearts of the shepherds at that time. But if you spent your whole life out in a field with a bunch of sheep, you might have some emotions as well, you know. So the people he announced it to is important. Also the people he called to be his apostles. Boom, Jesus grows up a little bit, right? And he wants to start a ministry. And he starts calling apostles left and right. And he starts changing and transforming people's lives. Well, what kind of people did he start to change and transform? Well, he picked James and John, who were fishermen, right? Nothing special about fishermen, you know? Have you guys ever watched like those shows like Wicked Tuna or like crazy like deep sea fishing shows, right? A lot of them, like that's all they've known their whole lives, a lot of them don't have a, a higher education. A lot of them don't, like, they're not relatable with other people in the world. Like, it's like they're like their own, like, culture of people, you know, when you watch some of those shows. Sometimes I watch, uh, you guys ever watch Swamp People, right? And there's the old guy, I can't remember his name, but somebody probably remembers it in here. Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> and everybody watch, everybody watch that show like us, we're like, What? But then he's talking to some other guy on the show, and he's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, where are the subtitles? Like, I don't know what's being said right now. Like, I don't get it. I can only imagine that's probably what fishermen were like. That they were like, they'd go into a city, and they'd be like, there's my fish. I got my fish. And they're like, what? <laughs> and I think that that's a lot of times when we think about fishermen, they weren't very educated in that time. They didn't, sit, they didn't spend their time in schools. They had to make their way of living by being out on the water. Yet that's who Jesus called. He didn't call high-status people. He called Simon the Zealot. Essentially, a zealot was somebody who was like in a resistance against the Roman government. And anything that they, some people called them like terrorists. <laughs> like they, that they were people who were against anything that Rome stood for. Or anyone who aided in Rome. That's who Jesus called. But what's crazy is Jesus didn't call him by himself. He picked up Matthew as well, the tax collector, who was for Rome. You know, 
He was collecting taxes for Rome. So how does that work? How do you put those two in a room? Jerry Springer season 15 coming soon, you know? Like, there's going to be chaos. There's going to be a lot of stuff that happens between the division that could happen in in this group of people. But that's not what happens, does it, when we read through Scripture? We see somehow it works, right? And then they call Paul, out of all people, the chief of sinners. 1 Timothy 1, 25 and 26, it says, I can testify that this word, capital W there, make note of that, that this word is true and deserves to be received by all. For Jesus Christ came into the world to bring sinners back to life Even me, the worst sinner of all. Yet I was captured by grace so that Jesus Christ could display through me the outpouring of his spirit as a pattern to be seen for all those who would believe in him for eternal life. So he calls somebody like Paul, who used to kill Christians. And now he enters the mix with all these other guys that are known to be people who are following Jesus. So what are we supposed to learn from this? Well, we're supposed to learn that the relationships that we have with each other in our relationship with Jesus are meant to be diverse. That's one of the things I love about this church is we don't look the same. You see, I've been to churches that look the same. I've been to churches that are all black. I've been to churches that are all white. I've been to churches that are all people that have gray hair. You know, I've been to these churches and I've seen it And I look at it and I say, that's not what I think Jesus called whenever he had a group of people. Because they didn't look all the same. And so one of two things is either happening in those churches that I believe. I believe one thing is happening is that they're making outsiders feel like outsiders. That if you don't fit this model of what we look like in this church, then you're probably not going to fit in here. Or two... They're choosing to only pickpocket certain people that fit the context that would fit within their church. And instead of seeking and saving a lost world, they're seeking and saving a lost culture, seeking and saving a lost race, seeking and saving a lost age demographic. I don't see that ever in Scripture, period. And that's one of the things that I love about this church is you can be black, you can be white, you can be old, you can be young, you could be a college student, you could be not a college student, you could could have an apt for education and higher understanding, you could could go straight into the workforce and just feel like that's where you want. It doesn't matter. Just like it didn't matter to who Jesus called because he realized that he needed to go find lost, hurting people who felt alone and he realized that that didn't come with a tag of culture, race, or age. And I truly believe that if more Christians had that kind of hope in a lost world, that maybe our family functions on Sundays on Christmas would look a little different. That maybe the way that we treated people would look a little different. If we had the hope the same way that Jesus had hope in people, if, he, if we looked at people the same way that Jesus looked at people and had hope for them, maybe our lives would look a little different. And I want you guys to know, when you look at Paul, the worst of the worst He should give us hope. Who knows if he was the worst of all? He thought he was. And I'm sure a lot of us feel that same way too, don't we? That we've messed up too much, that we're so bad. But it's so crazy to see how all these people worked together. It doesn't make sense to me. 
and it's not supposed to. We would not mesh at a lunch table in high school together in this room. I guarantee it. You know, if you guys just pick the, the eight or ten people sitting closest to you and are like, this is our lunch table at high school for the next four years, it wouldn't work. Right? And I think about that so many times where I was like, in high school, there were the click tables, right? There were the jocks. There were the nerds. There were the computer nerds. There were, there were the, the robotics nerds. There were, you know, there were the video game nerds. There was even clicks within the clicks. Like, it just, it didn't, it didn't make sense. But they all assimilated because of what they had in common. Well, that's the cool thing about having hope in Jesus Christ is that that's what we have in common. And that's why the church works. Whereas where our relationships wouldn't work in the world, they do work because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so maybe you walked into this church and, and you saw some faces and you're like, this doesn't look like me. Well, let me tell you right now that if you're wanting to find a relationship with God, it's not going to look like you. Because we find our identity in Christ, not in each other. And that's why I love this church. That's why I love the people here is because we've chosen to put all those similarities to the side and put one similarity as a priority. And it doesn't matter who walks in those doors, we're going to welcome them as a brother or sister of Christ if they want to find Jesus just like we do. That's the kind of church you should be looking for. That's the kind of hope that you should put your, your, your trust in with Jesus. Thirdly, um, we look at the price that Jesus paid. Now we get back to that whole idea of the purpose that he you know, chose to look at in his life, and, and, and we see how this, is, how this has come to light. That purpose that Jesus embraced was ultimately ended in the price that Jesus paid. You see in John 1, 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Hebrews 10, 4 says, For it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And, and, and essentially, the Lamb of God is identified as Jesus Christ because he was the last sacrifice. He was intended to be the sacrifice that saves sins once and for all. And if we're going to find hope in our relationship with, with God, if we're going to find hope in what Jesus did, we have to find meaning and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And I think sometimes we, we, we can take communion and we don't think about that. Uh, we forget that. And I think sometimes we, we look at this idea of, of Jesus dying on the cross and it's kind of like a roller coaster of emotions where sometimes it hits and sometimes it doesn't. I know that's at least how it feels for me when I take communion and I, and I think about what Jesus did on the cross, that there are some days where I can sit here and I can listen to the message of Jesus dying on the cross and it's just another storybook story to me, you know? I already know this. I've heard this a hundred times and, and that's kind of how I can take it and then I can be done with it. And then there's other times where I can be on a different spectrum of emotional connection to what Jesus did on the cross and realize that that is the entire reason why I can have hope in my life. is because of what he had done for me specifically. And just like we talked about earlier, to find that purpose that Jesus came to save sinners, I think sometimes we can overcast it because we don't find that personal connection. You know, we don't always want to personally connect that we are a sinner, that I sin myself, or that maybe you don't like for me to say from a pulpit and I can look at you guys and say, you guys sin. 
like each and every one of you. And if I sat here and I just started pointing at you, it was like, you sin and you sin. You may not like that, you know? It may not be a good feeling. And that's because it, that's because it makes it personal. And I think that's, that's why the connection to the cross has to be personal. We can listen to the story of Jesus dying on the cross and know that it happened, but it can be so generalized because we know it was for everyone that we lose that personal connection. But when you finally can realize that it's not that just Jesus died on the cross and that's the story, but Jesus died on the cross specifically for you to have hope, it's going to hit a little different. And that's my hope today is that while we take communion and while we understand this idea that Jesus died on the cross, it's not that it's not another story for all of us to know, but it's something that you will take very seriously and understand that it was for you. Look at Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for this, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I want you to change that last sentence. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not changing scripture here, but I'm trying to make it more personal. And I want you to put your name in where it says we and us. And I just want you, as we take communion, I want you to reread that verse over and over again. And I want you to put your name there instead. And as I sing this song, I want you to read that verse and say, you know, for me, I'm going to look at this and say, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While Jake was still a sinner, Christ died for Jake. And the more you hear that, and the more you repeat that, and the more you think of that, the deeper connection you're going to have to what Jesus really did to find that hope. The more you're going to understand how much he really loved, not just the world, but how much he really loved you. And my hope is today that as we take communion, and as we take the Lord's Supper here in a second, that you will find a connection to a deeper love than anything you found on this earth before because you know that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Okay? So I'm going to say a prayer, and uh, we're going to sing a song, and we're going to take communion, and then we'll finish this up today. <coughs> God, I just want to thank you so much. Uh, on today of all days, on Christmas Day, you know, it's, it's like it was meant to be on a Sunday in a church talking about your son. And God, so many times I can forget about the sacrifice that was happened and we think about all the gifts and we think about all the presents and we think about all the things that we're going to be doing today and all, all the good stuff that we can remember. But God, sometimes we forget that for us to have gifts, there was a sacrifice and that sacrifice was your son. And so God, I pray today that we can remember not just that your son made the ultimate sacrifice, but God, that we can remember more personally that he made that ultimate sacrifice for specifically me. And that everyone in this room can resonate with that same idea that he specifically died for them and what we can do to have a love for you because of the love that your son had for us. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Precious blood has left me forgiven. Pure like the white
whitest of snow. Powerful to make sin and shame retreat, this covenant is making me whole. So I will rise and lift my head, for by his mercy my life was spared. The highest name has set me free. Because of Jesus, my heart is clean. Purify my heart in your presence. Teach me to discover the joy, holiness that forms as you draw me close. In you what was lost is restored. So I will rise and lift my head, for by his mercy my life was spared. The highest name has set me free because of Jesus. My heart is clean, so I will rise and lift my head. For by His mercy, my life was spared. The highest name has set me free. Because of Jesus, my heart is clean. Because of Jesus, my heart is clean. Because of Jesus, my heart is clean. Amen. It was a really pretty song. It's the first time I've ever heard that song before. You guys did a good job on that. Okay, and lastly... Um, let me catch up to my notes. <coughs> Lastly, I can find hope this Christmas if I understand the promise that Jesus made. You see, it wasn't enough just for Jesus to die on the cross. It wasn't enough for him to pay that price, but he paid that price with a promise. He paid that price to give us a promise that 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 death meant something. That meant something for people before, people during, and people after Jesus had died on the cross. There was a promise that he was going to leave for them knowing that this meant something. And we get that promise in, in John 1, 11-13. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But whoever did receive him, those trusting in his name, to these he gave the right to become the children of God. They were born not of a bloodline, nor of a human desire, nor of man's will, but of God. You see, God has given us the opportunity to have a great life, to have a wonderful life, going along with our theme for this series. But that promise can only happen if we choose to trust in Jesus. I think too many times 
we choose to look at our lives and we choose to follow other things. We choose to follow, um, you know, success. We choose to follow friends or relationships. We choose to follow a girl or a guy. We choose to follow success in our businesses or sports or whatever it is. And we choose not to follow God. Yet we want the same blessings and we want the same peace and we want the same hope that everyone who does follow God gets. But the reality is that we will never have that because of what we choose or who we choose to acknowledge. In Matthew 10, 32, it says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. How important is that? How important is that to know <coughs> To know. That that's the way that Jesus will choose to acknowledge us. You see, we choose to acknowledge Christ a lot of times during Christmas time. You know, we choose to acknowledge him during the season or we choose to acknowledge him on Sundays. Uh, but the reality is, is that we don't acknowledge Christ for the way that he's meant to be acknowledged in the way the Bible understands it. We don't acknowledge the Christ of the Bible, but we, we acknowledge the Christmas story. We acknowledge the Sunday mornings. And it's so important for us to acknowledge Jesus for who he really is and what he's meant to be in our lives so that we can have those same blessings. Look at this in Acts 2, 36-41. It says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. And I'll read this real fast as well. In Isaiah 9-2, it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They lived in a land of shadows, but now light is shining on them. A child is born to us, a son is given to us, and he will be our ruler. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and the Prince of Peace. <coughs> you see, the story in Acts, or this, this, this bit of scripture in Acts, is getting us to understand that this Christmas story, this Christ of Christmas, is not just a happy, feel-good meaning of what God is meant to be in our lives, but he is meant to be our Lord. It says both Lord and Messiah. In Isaiah, it says he will be our ruler. See, we, we want to we just spend our time with the good side of God, the friendly side of God, the fun side of God, but we so neglect that he is meant to be our ruler. He is meant to be our Lord. He is meant to be our king. And that means that there should be a different response in us if we expect to live in his kingdom, if we expect to live in his presence, if we're expected to be acknowledged before our father, like it says in Matthew. And I think that for a lot of us, if we chose to look at God in that way, our lives would look a lot differently. And my challenge today is for us to have a conviction to change the way we live in a way that looks like we look at God like a Lord and not just like a daddy. You see, I say it like that because when we think of the word daddy, we think about little kids, right? I hope. 
I hope none of you grown men are still going to your father saying, hey, daddy, what's up? <laughs> you know, like that would be kind of weird because that's a childlike version of what you choose to view your father as. You see, if I, if I called somebody daddy, it's funny, I keep saying the word daddy. <laughs> if I said daddy, <coughs> um, I don't know, I'm, I'm probably going to say it four more times before I'm done. I know I am. Um, there are certain traits that I would expect from that person, right? If my kids call me daddy, they are not looking at me like I fear you right now. It's more of a silly way to say father. It's more of a comforting way. A daddy would protect. A daddy would encourage, support, love, bring them in close. That's what I think of when I hear the word daddy. You know? There I go. I say it again. <laughs> it's just so funny because I'm old. All right? But here's the thing. As we grow up in our relationship with God, we have got to grow past that and realize and acknowledge that there are different terms that What I say? What I say? Oh, did it? <laughs> you guys are messing with me today now, I see. Um, I, thought, I thought I did something totally wrong. Um, but here's the thing that I'm trying to get at. I'm trying to drive this point home and eventually I will get there. But the reality is, is that we have got to acknowledge that there is a deeper meaning in understanding what God is for us. You see, it is so funny when I say that word daddy, but the reality is, is that is just as funny as that's how God views us when that's how we still treat him. We still treat him like that because we never accept him as Lord and Messiah. We choose to view him as somebody who's loving and comforting and it's going to protect us, but we don't ever acknowledge the Lord's side. And that's what's so important about Christmas. That's what's so important about getting this point down is that you guys and I need to look at our lives and say, how do we view God? How do you view God today? Do you look like the weird old person that calls him daddy still? Or are you finally going to grow up and look at your relationship with God and say, you are not just meant to have those traits but you are also meant to be a father and a Lord to me. And that means that there are things in my life now that I need to change to show that. That's the message, and that's my hope today, is that we will take this baby Jesus and grow him up in our hearts and lives the way he was intended to be in the first place. That's the message of Christmas. We are not meant to just look at him like the baby anymore. We all love that side of Jesus. We were meant to look at the grown man, the king, the Lord, and our lives should reflect that a little differently. And they understood that in Acts. Because when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they asked, what shall we do? And if that's where you're at today, if you're looking for hope and you're tired of looking at just the comforting, loving side of God, but you want to find the Lord side of God who can help your life and bring you into his kingdom to bring those blessings then you need to ask the same question. What do I need to do? And you've came to a great place because in your guys' worship bulletin, there's a communication card that I want you guys to pull out. And that's your opportunity to act just like these men in Acts and respond. 
If you're cut to the heart and you look at your life and you say, what is it that I need to do to make God my Lord? What is it that I need to do to enter into his kingdom? What is it that I need to do to find a relationship with him more so than a childlike father and son relationship, but more of a Lord relationship that he will bring me into his kingdom and I will have those possessions and those properties and those things that will bless my life. This is your opportunity to find that. I don't know where you're at today, but I know that God's kingdom, which is in part the church, is here to help with whatever it may be. Maybe you look at your life and you say, there's an addiction that I, have, I cannot get through. I don't know how to get over this. God's kingdom has people that have been through addictions that can help with those things. Maybe you've been through a divorce or you've, or you've had a terrible relationship and the holidays are going to suck this year because you just don't know what it's going to look like. You're not alone. There are people in this room that are going through those same kind of things. Maybe you just don't have community and you're going to leave Sunday. Maybe you came today because you don't have anything to go home to and this is the closest thing that you're going to find to family on Christmas morning. There are people in this room that are just like that. But they're not going home alone anymore because they found community. Maybe that's where it needs to start for you. It's just to maybe ask somebody to go get some coffee one day. Maybe to get somebody to grab some dinner, maybe to look at what our small groups look like here, maybe to get into a, into a, a Bible study with somebody, to look at what God wants in store for you. I don't know where you're at today, but I know that God put you here today for a reason. I know out of all days, today is a Sunday on Christmas, and I know that God wants hope for each and every one of us. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song, and we're going to give you guys some time to fill out that communication card. And I pray more than anything on Christmas morning, the greatest present that you could give me is to put that card in a basket. To find, just to find the strength and the courage to take out a limb and, and, and put something in a basket just to receive a little bit of hope. That would be the greatest gift for me. Because as I've grown up, I've started to realize that there's nothing else on this earth that I can take to heaven but other people. And I've dedicated my life, and this church has dedicated their lives to making sure that we do everything we can to realize that that is the only thing that we can take with us, and that's the greatest gift that we can give anyone. So I pray today that you won't just be quiet, be timid, sit back, but that you will actually invest and just take a shot of courage and see what God could actually do with your life if you try to look at him as Lord. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about purpose on New Year's Day. And so once again, you know, a great start. If you're just looking for a new change in your life, if you're looking for something like this is, this is the best time to get wrapped up in a church. We'll talk about purpose next week and what, what could look differently next year if this is really something you're wanting to take seriously. And so I invite you to come back next week and I invite you to invite your friends and your families and take advantage of these holidays that are coming up and today and whatever holiday parties you guys have throughout the week and, and see what God can do with that. But I'm, great, I'm grateful that you guys are here. I'm grateful that you guys visited on Christmas Day and I hope that God can really give you the greatest gift that he could ever give while you're here. Um, but yeah, that's all. that's all I got. So I'm gonna say a prayer and the worship team is gonna come up and then we'll wrap this up today. God, just thank you so much uh, for having Christmas on a Sunday. It's just, it's awesome to think about just the memories that can be made um, and the gifts that can be given throughout the year. But God, like I said, this is the greatest gift to have is just to be able to have people around us that love each other um, and that love you and that we get to live life together and we get to spend time with each other. 
So thank you again, Lord, for your son. Thank you again for the church. And thank you again for this holiday to remember all that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.